Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. So we are continuing a series that we began earlier in the summer called You Asked For It. And you may, if you, uh, as often as the case in the summer, don't get out to church all the time, you may find it interesting to go back and check out some of the previous uh, sermons on topics that may be of interest to you. There, You can get to them through the website or also through YouTube. Uh, we had, um, had some great... Um, Ways of uh, looking at the things that you wanted us to. So this has been your series, and today uh, we're going to talk about prayer together. Someone is wondering about prayer and also um, unanswered prayer, and so we're going to be kind of addressing those uh, topics today. Many of us learned to pray as children if we grew up in the church. How many of you um, were, were in a home where as a child you were a follower of Jesus or your family was? Okay, quite a few of you. Um, so those of you that did that will remember a prayer that some of us used to pray with our children before they went to sleep at night while they got into their beds. And if you know this prayer, say it with me. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake I pray the Lord my soul to take. Wow. You know, you were almost louder than the Lord's prayer. That was... <laughs> I, I must confess, though, that as much as I love the North Sound family, when I worship with our friends at Holy Trinity, they sort of belt out the Lord's prayer. Um, so we're going to have to work on that. But this was amazing. Um, and what usually happens then is after we say that prayer, then we say, God bless Daddy and Mommy and Uncle Fred, and right, we do all the other things. And, and it's wonderful for children to learn this, as, as you have, um, for some of you, and for me, who looks like Helen's father, um, it's been a long time since I've been praying, uh, been praying that prayer. Um, but you remembered it, and that's one of the nice things about things that we do as children when we pray with them before they go to sleep is that we're, we're creating a habit in their lives very early on of relating to God. One of the downsides of that particular prayer, however, is that most of what we say with the children has to do with petition or we're asking God for things. That's kind of the way that prayer starts is we, just, we are just asking God for things. And, and that's okay, but it's only a small part of prayer. The other picture you see here um, is it's either a change of command or a retirement. And it illustrates a kind of prayer also where Navy chaplains were be asked by their commanding officers to pray for their change of command or to pray for their retirement ceremony so that the weather will be good when it takes place, right? They want good weather. And um, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to, uh, to do that because um, obviously that's a, that's a challenging prayer, right? And so some of us just smile or say, you know, yes, sir. Um, but the best response I heard was from a Navy colleague who said, when asked about praying for good weather, said, sir, I'm in sales, not management. I thought, I thought that was... That was uh, pretty good. <clears throat> now, while this response may get the chaplain off the hook, whatever happens with the weather, it, uh, it actually raises some good questions about prayer. And I don't know if you've thought of these, but I have thought of it as I, as I pondered this topic. Should we pray for good weather for picnics? 
or just pray against severe drought when it happens? Are there any prayers that are too trivial? Why, why bother kinds of prayers? Can we have faith for good weather? Can we have faith for healing or for prosperity or for comfort in our lives? Can we pray for God to change someone's will? That's one that I still ponder after all these years in ministry because regularly I pray for people who I want to get closer to the Lord. I want to see them draw closer to the Lord. And so I pray for them to draw closer to the Lord, but I don't know, <clears throat> I, I don't know philosophically uh, or theologically whether I can pray against someone's will. In other words, if they don't want to grow closer to the Lord, can I actually pray for them to do it? And will my prayer overcome their will? If John, if you know the answer to that one, if you'd talk to me later, I would I'd appreciate that. So anyway, we have these questions about prayer, and we're going to look at some of these tough questions together. I want to begin by saying that prayer has a lot to do with the way we see the world. So I don't think that I don't think that um, a sermon on prayer actually begins with the words that we say or, or how we approach prayer. But in fact, we need to look at a worldview that is behind prayer. And while there are many worldviews, there are two that I think are perhaps most important. The first one is a secular worldview or a materialistic worldview. Now, some of us have heard sermons on materialism that say, you know, you shouldn't like to buy all these toys because um, that's, that's materialism. That's not what I'm talking about at all here. Materialistic goes along with a secular worldview that says everything that exists are things that can be uh, figured out with our five senses. So they're, they're real in the sense of being material. And so that's kind of the background and the basis of a secular worldview. Now, there really aren't many atheists or agnostics in the world. Most people have some sense or belief in God. But often, even if they have a belief in God, practically speaking, they live in a secular worldview. And for these kinds of people, prayer is just offered as a latch dish, latch last-ditch effort in the case of an emergency. Early in my career as a Navy chaplain, I was the chaplain for a squadron at Whidbey Island Naval Air Station, um, Marine Tactical Electronic Warfare Squadron 4, or VMAQ-4, and uh, they flew the EA-6B Prowler, and you see the airplane here, you will notice on the tail the Seahawks emblem. They got permission from the Seahawks to use the Seahawks emblem uh, for, their, uh, for their aircraft, and the squadron was indeed called the Seahawks. Our mission was called SEAD. S-E-A-D, Suppression of Enemy Air Defenses. And I wanted to do what my Marines did, and you'll notice the airplane that our squadron f flew had four places. And so I wanted to go and do, as a gung-ho chaplain, what my squadron would do. So I had to go through aviation physiology and water survival. I've, I've told some stories about that before. But one of the things that we had to do was we had to go through a part of training with an ejection seat trainer. And the, the picture that you see on the right is of that ejection seat trainer. And 
you were taught that you needed to brace yourself a certain way if you had to eject from the aircraft. And there was a, 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 a rung down here that you could grab and pull up or another one that you could pull down with a, with a face cover this way if you needed to eject from the airplane. But in a four-place airplane, they encouraged you not to eject by yourself um, because if you were doing it by yourself and you all went at the same time, you could hit each other above the airplane and that, that would not be a good thing. It could ruin your whole day. So, so normally what would happen in an airplane like this is what's called a command ejection and a command ejection is when the pilot sends everybody and the airplane is rigged in such a way that you go out milliseconds apart. And the pilot then would be the one to instruct you. And when we were doing this training, they said, normally you will hear the pilot say three times, eject, eject, eject. And that's your, that's your, your warning to get ready to brace and get ready to go. But they said, normally you will also have a subtle warning before then when the pilot says, oh, shoot. <laughs> or... Something, something, like, something like that. So those who live in a secular worldview reserve prayer for situations like eject, eject, eject. That's when they feel called to pray that, that, that in that moment they don't know if it's going to work or not, but it's sure worth a shot, so let's go ahead and do that. Do we have any football fans out here? Yeah, anybody watch the preseason game the other night? And yeah, a few of you did. So, um, yeah, and interesting things with the Huskies and the, the Pac-12 and all that stuff going on. Anyway, um, football fans know about this kind of prayer as, w as well because it's the end of the game. Your team is down by six points. You need a touchdown to win. And... The quarterback on your team goes under the center and gets the ball and runs back about 10 yards and all of the receivers go into the end zone, right? This is the last play of the game. And he stands back and he heaves the ball high and as far as he can into the end zone. And what kind of pass do they call that? Yeah. Whoa, you are football fans. So the idea is that he lets it go, and while it's in the air, he starts saying Hail Marys <laughs> in the hope that God will have pity on him and the team's receiver in the end zone and that that ball will be caught. Again, an example of this secular worldview where prayer just comes in in an emergency in the hope that it can't do any harm. Now, there's a different worldview. It's a biblical worldview or a supernatural worldview. And it's one in which the natural that we've been talking about and the supernatural are integrated. It's the worldview that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't see miracles happening all of the time. That's not the way it works. But there's an awareness of the supernatural in our lives. Daily prayer on our part reflects the supernatural worldview that we all have. We all relate to God when we pray on a regular basis. We assume God's presence. We live with that in mind. And when it comes to prayer, worldview makes all the difference. 
It's interesting because the secular worldview has advanced so much in my lifetime. It's not the way it used to be. In June, Barb and I were in England and in Ireland, and when we were in England, we went up to Stratford-upon-Avon, the, uh, the, the place where Shakespeare lived and wrote. And one of the guides, when we went through Shakespeare's home, had a book, and uh, I really loved this, uh, the title of this book, and I was intrigued by it. It's called To Be a Tutor, T-U-D-O-R. Uh, the tutors were the uh, family that ruled... Uh, England at that time, Henry VIII, etc. <clears throat> and uh, it, it said, to be a tutor, a dawn to dust guide for everyday life. Now, I was a history major in college, so the idea of knowing how people lived in the 15th or 16th century, 1500s, was fascinating to me. And yesterday, I happened to finish the book, and uh, it talked, having gone through the day, it talked about bedtime, and she said, at that point, she said, as the stable door was bolted. The chickens settled down inside their coops and darkness fell. Men and women retired to bed and said their prayers. O everlasting light whose brightness is never darkened, look favorably upon me, thy poor and sinful servant, was one of the prayers that was regularly offered. She says the day both began and ended with Christian worship, a quickly mumbled formula or for some, and a deep introspective journey for others. We're going to talk more about this, but prayer is primarily about relationship. It's not primarily about petition or even intercession for others. When we gather as a staff in our staff meeting or when we gather as elders, we often begin with the formula that Deb has put up here, and that is we begin with someone doing adoration or talking about the love of God, and then we have someone share in confession on behalf of all of us and the fact that we're all sinners, and then someone expresses thanksgiving for the wonders of God in our lives, and then finally we get around to supplication or, or petition where we ask, ask God for things in our lives. The important thing about this is to understand that at the core of praying is relationship. Prayer is primarily about developing a relationship with God. It's not so much about asking God for things that he doesn't seem to deliver. And as important as it is for us to engage in petition and in intercession, we need to recognize that probably the most fundamental part of prayer is conversation with God. We develop a relationship. Jesus is our example. Um, he came to earth and showed us how to live. Of course, he went to the cross to become the means by which our sins are forgiven. But prior to that, he showed us how to live. And in Jesus' life, even though we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they uh, shared life together, that they shared love together, um, and we are invited into that community, Jesus, when he was on earth, when the incarnation took place and he lived amongst us, he um, had to have himself a vital relationship with the Father. 
Consider these passages from the Gospel of Luke alone. Luke 5.16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6.12, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. Luke 9.18, once when Jesus was praying in private. Luke 19.28, Jesus went up a mountainside to pray. Luke 11.1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Luke 22.41, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. So friends, we need to approach prayer from the perspective of relationship. And I want to ask, uh, if we had time, which we don't, I would love to put the question out, how do you do that? How do you, in your own life, here you are on a Sunday morning, you could be doing many other things, how do you put relationship with God primary in your life? I've shared from time to time my own experience where um, I, I enjoy using the Book of Common Prayer. It's, it's 500 years old. It's worked for a good while for a good many people. And so I typically start with that. And it has an opening prayer. And then it has psalms that I read, usually multiple psalms. And then an Old Testament passage that I don't choose. And then a New Testament passage that I don't choose. They, they choose it for me. Um, and then there are particular prayers that we we offer and then we have the Lord's Prayer and then finally what's called a collect which is a a one sentence but can almost be a paragraph prayer that kind of concludes the theme for that day. And then I use something called Lectio 365 which is an app on the phone which is connected to the 24-7 prayer movement and it's about 10 minutes long and it's a guided meditation as well that, that takes us through this relationship piece with God and then finally I conclude with the, with the supplication, with petition for my needs and my family as I see them and then uh, intercession for others as well. That's what works for me in this season. That hasn't always been how I do it. But I want to ask um, you to think about what works for you. And if you're not engaged in that, to begin to try some things and discover what works for you in terms of relationship. At one point in my life, I studied philosophy at the University of Washington. And we would discuss really important subjects uh, there at the UW. And there was indeed a concern for the application of truth to society, but it was primarily in the content of academic dialogue. The famous mathematician Blaise Pascal commented on the, the difference between just this, this academic formal way of dealing with these subjects and the reality of life when he said these words, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the God of the philosophers and scholars. Our questions about prayer are far from academic, however. They're very real. Some of us here at North Sound are going through very difficult times. We welcome back in the today Joanne and Steve. Joanne has been out with cancer treatment for six months. This is her first time in a Sunday service this morning uh, in six months. Deb, who's running PowerPoint for us, has just been through a number of issues in her family, including the passing of her brother. Others of you, if I were to take time, I know are going through difficult and challenging times. 
Many of us have been praying for you and recognizing that these are challenging times. Answers to prayer is the stuff of life. Frankly, there's probably little more important to us than answers to prayer. So we're going to look at some questions about prayer, and we do so with great seriousness because it affects the walk with God that each one of us have. So we begin with why pray. And again, we've already talked about relationships and how important it is to develop a relationship with God. There's another prayer, this time in John, that Jesus offers that talks and reinforces this idea that we pray out of relationship. Verse 20 of John 17, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. First of all, relationship. We pray because of relationship. Secondly, we pray out of obedience. As followers of Jesus, he tells us to pray. We're obedient to that instruction in our lives. Jesus says in Luke 11, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. We're simply obedient to God when we pray. The third thing is the conviction that prayer changes things. We pray because we're convinced that prayer makes a difference. James writes this. He says, the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Elijah, for instance, human, just like us, prayed hard that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't, not a drop for three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would rain, and it did. The showers came, and everything started growing again. One of the questions is, does prayer change God, or does it change us? And I want to say, I think the scripture indicates it changes both us and God in the process. Friends, our conviction extends to the realization that we may not see an answer to our prayer immediately. In relationships, there's dialogue. So when a subject comes up for Barb and I, it, it isn't always resolved immediately. Sometimes we just have to leave it and come back to it and continue the discussion around whatever that thing may be that, that is something that is in our relationship. It's like that with prayer. We don't always um, get an immediate answer. Sometimes it's a continuing discussion with God. Some of us got the idea, perhaps because of how we learn to pray, that prayer is transactional. That like we put a dollar into a machine that gives us a Coke, um, we expect that as we offer the prayer, that the answer is going to come out immediately, prayer as transaction, and it just doesn't work that way in any of our relationships in life. The working out of a relationship with God has some powerful biblical precedents. Read the Psalms, almost any of the Psalms. You see this struggle with God, this, this struggle that takes place trying to, 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 to move ahead, trying for David to understand what's going on in the relationship. We also 
recognize that Job argued with God as he tried to make sense out of his life. The book of Job is that kind of a conversation. And then finally, Jacob quite literally wrestled with God. So we have to recognize the fact that prayer changes things even though we don't always see it in the moment. The fourth, and perhaps for the person that requested this, this may be the most important point as we move towards a conclusion this morning, and that is why some prayers seem to be unanswered. So we said prayer is primarily about a relationship with God. We sometimes have to wrestle with God. We find that prayer changes God and it changes us. We've also discovered that prayer isn't magic. We don't put the dollar in and the Coke comes out. But it's also appropriate to notice that God has called us to bring very specific needs to him. Ask, seek, knock. And so it seems when we do that, we don't always get an answer. We don't always get the answer that we think we are going to receive or want. So why don't we see more answers to specific prayers? I want to make some suggestions before we're done this morning. First of all, we don't always know what is best. I often ask if people say, what can I pray for you? John, what do I ask you to pray for? I ask for discernment all the time, discernment, discernment, because I want to pray in according with what God wants. And there is a Chinese parable that illustrates this to me so well. A farmer and his son had a beloved stallion who helped the family earn a living. One day the horse ran away and their neighbors exclaimed, your horse ran away, what terrible luck. The farmer replied, maybe so, maybe not, we'll see. A few days later, the horse returned home, leading a wild, few wild mares back to the farm as well. The neighbors shouted, your horse has returned and brought several horses with him. What luck, the farmer replied. Maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. Later that week, the farmer's son was trying to break one of the mares, and she threw him to the ground, breaking his leg. The villagers cried, your son broke his leg. What terrible luck. The farmer replied, Yes. A few weeks later, soldiers from the National Army marched through town recruiting all the able-bodied boys for the army. They did not take the farmer's son. Still recovering from his injury, friends shouted, your boy is spared. What tremendous luck, to which the farmer replied, yes, we don't always know. We don't always know what the best answer is to our prayer. We often think we know what God's will is, in a specific situation, but the truth is we don't. We don't know what God is up to. Isaiah puts it this way, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we don't always know what God's will is in answer to our prayer. Secondly, spiritual warfare can impact our prayers. If we believe in the supernatural, if we believe in God, if we believe in angels, if we believe that we as the people of God have a responsibility to do good in our community, to do the work of the kingdom, it's not too hard to believe that there are forces of evil that are working against us, and we, we see that around us. We see it in our country. And so 
the scriptures talk about this, the warfare that goes on in ways that we can't even see from this remarkable passage in the book of Daniel. Daniel, he said, this is an angel speaking to Daniel. Daniel, he said, man of quality, listen carefully to my message and get up on your feet, stand at attention. Can you tell this is the message version? I've been sent to bring you news. When he had said this, he stood up. I stood up, but I was still shaking. Relax, Daniel, he continued. Don't be afraid. From the moment you decided to humble yourself to receive understanding, your prayer was heard. And I set out to come to you, but I was waylaid by the angel prince of the kingdom of Persia and was delayed for a good three weeks. But then Michael, one of the chief angel princes, intervened to help me. I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and now I am here to help you understand what will eventually happen to your people. The vision has to do with what lies ahead. It seems a delay in answering prayers had to do with spiritual warfare that was going on in ways that Daniel and we may not understand. The third thing is that affects our prayers is sin. According to Peter, quoting the psalmist, he says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Friends, this is one of the things that may hinder our prayers that is easy to deal with. It's confession and repentance, and we regularly offer an alternative way of dealing with that at North Sound. We do the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins, our trespasses, as we forgive those who sin against us. The fourth thing is that we don't always recognize the answer when it comes. Sometimes God answers our prayers and we don't realize he has because it's come in ways that we didn't expect. Do you know that Jesus is the Messiah or the anointed one who was the promised Messiah of Israel? And yet when he came 2,000 years ago, most of the Jewish people missed it. They missed that he was the Messiah. He was the answer to their prayers for generations and generations, and they missed it. They didn't understand that, in fact, Jesus was the Messiah. I love the well-known parable of the old fellow and the flood. I'm sure you must be familiar with this. A fellow was stuck on his rooftop in a flood, and he was praying to God for help, and soon a rowboat showed up, and the fellow that was rowing the boat yelled up to him on the roof, I'm here to rescue you. Come on down and get in the boat. And the old fellow yelled back, No, God is to rescue me. Thanks anyway. And the rowboat rowed away, and a powerboat came up, and the operator of the powerboat yelled up and said, The water's rising. I'm here to rescue you. Come get in the boat. And the fellow said, Oh, no, God's going to rescue me. I'm fine. And so the motorboat took off. Finally, a helicopter came and let down the cage, and all he had to do was step in, but he yelled up amidst the rotor noise and said, Oh, no, God is going to rescue me. Thanks anyway. And the helicopter left. The floodwaters came up. He drowned, found himself in heaven. And when he had an opportunity to talk to God, he said, God, I'm so disappointed. I knew you promised to answer my prayers that you would rescue me, and you didn't. And God said, what? He said, I sent a rowboat, I sent a motorboat, and I sent a helicopter. Friends, we don't always get it when God answers our prayers. 
It's important for us also to understand when it comes to answered prayers that we don't know everything. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Bruce Almighty. If I was doing clips this morning, I might offer a clip of Bruce Almighty. But uh, for those of you that don't know it, Bruce becomes, uh, Jim Carrey becomes God, and he has to start answering prayers. But if you can imagine six billion people sending prayers to God, it's, it's a little bit difficult to sort out. And uh, so he has this, this terrible problem and it helps us to understand just how challenging it is as he found, Bruce found, making the right choices for people was pretty difficult. The lesson from this is that God is God and we are not. Job had these terrible things happen to him as it comes back to our worldview. And, and with Job, his friends tried unsuccessfully to comfort him. And Job has this dialogue with God, but in the final analysis, God says, you just don't, you just don't know everything. He says, why do you confuse the issue? This is God to Job. Why do you talk about without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet, stand tall. I have some questions for you, and I want some straight answers. So God turns the table, and now he's asking Job questions. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me, since you know so much, who decided on its size? Certainly you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprints and measurements? How was its foundation poured? And who set the cornerstone? While the morning stars sang in course and all the angels shouted praise. And who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? That was me. I wrapped it in soft clouds. I tucked it in safely at night. Then I made a playpen for it, a strong playpen so it couldn't run loose and said, stay here. This is your place. Your wild tantrums are confined to this place. Friends, Job in spite of all his suffering, came to the place where he understood he didn't know everything. And neither do we. We don't have a God's eye view of the universe. In the final analysis, Job had to trust God who made the universe. And he had to choose to have a relationship with him. Friends, I conclude this morning with a story from one of my favorite authors, Philip Yancey. He wrote a book on prayer that was published a number of years ago, 350 pages on prayer, and yet didn't begin to cover all the questions about prayer. He tells a moving story of a German pastor at the end of World War II, Helmut Thielicke. Thielicke's life was a lot like Job's. He lost his university teaching position when he refused to cooperate with Hitler. He endured the humiliation of interrogations by the SS and the ever-present threat of imprisonment. Near the end of the war, he arrived at his church in Stuttgart only to discover that it had been destroyed by the Allied bombing and when he went from the church to his home, he found his home had been destroyed as well. And perhaps most heartbreaking was seeing his children licking the pictures of wonderful food that was in the family cookbook. He preached to his congregation that Sunday in the burned-out structure 
a message of hope even amidst the rubble that was once the sanctuary. He encouraged them with these words. He said, the one fixed pole in all the bewildering confusion is the faithfulness and dependability of God. Now think about this, folks. These are remarkable words considering his situation in life and that moment. Yet he told them God's purposes were a thread throughout the challenges of their current situation. And then he said this in his sermon, which we have a record of. He said, one day perhaps when we look back from God's throne on the last day, we shall say with amazement and surprise if I had ever dreamed when I started graves of my loved ones and everything seemed to be ended. If I had ever dreamed when I saw the specter of atomic war creeping upon us, if I had ever dreamed when I faced the meaningless fate of an endless imprisonment or a malignant disease, if I had ever dreamed that God was only carrying out his design and plan through all these woes that in the midst of my cares and troubles and despair his harvest was ripening, and that everything was pressing on toward his last kingly day. If I had known this, I would have been more calm and confident. And yes, I would have been more cheerful and far more tranquil and composed. Tilica pointed his people to a Jesus who ministered peace in the midst of the storm. Yancey's book of 350 pages addressed the opportunities and questions of prayer, but he ends it this way. He says, sometimes I think about my first face-to-face conversation with God. I have so many unresolved questions, so many laments and regrets. Where should I begin? Various openings play out in my mind until I remember with a start whom, in fact, I will be talking to, the one who spun out galaxies and created all that exists. Objections fade away. Doubts dissolve. And I imagine myself falling back on words akin to Job's. Oh, now I get it. And the conversation resumes. Let's pray together. Lord, in this life and at this time, there are many things that we don't understand, but we trust you. And we know, Lord, that one day we may be able, like Job, to say, oh, now I get it. But in the meantime, may the conversation resume. May we, Lord, out of a worldview that recognizes our relationship with you. Seek to grow in that relationship, in our love for you, and in our trust that your purposes are being accomplished in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.